we worship in eight languages now. We just added French uh, to our churches. We worship in Arabic and Korean and Spanish and uh, Ethiopian and uh, all different kinds of languages. And it's just amazing. The style of worship is actually very different as well as the language. Uh, today, they kind of kept it to a, a more Anglo style of Latino worship. But it was a, it's a great experience for us to be uh, entering into all the languages of the world. And as we say, we're now in eight languages, and we have 140-some to go in, in Los Angeles. So we've got a long ways to go if we're going to worship in all the heart languages of all the people of L.A. Your children are here. would like to meet uh, Colleen at the back to get your Bible boxes. You're welcome to do that. All the rest of us, we're going to go back to the Gospel of John. John chapter 12. We're going to start with the 20th verse, go through the 33rd verse. The Gospel of John. Today, as you know, as I said, is the fifth Sunday of Lent. Palm Sunday is actually a part of Lent, but we worship on that day as the beginning of Holy Week as we enter into the triumphal entry of Christ and then all the events of that week. Uh, we are, of course, coming to the highest season of the Christian year. You know that a few of us, uh, uh, I think we've spent three weeks now since we came back from Israel. And while we were there, we went to Masada. Masada is one of the most interesting places to go in Israel. It's this mountaintop uh, palace, Herod's palace. It was the last stand of the Jewish people against the Romans in the, that century. And one of the things that they've done is they've recently excavated storerooms in the palace. Now, they had done the palace first and all the kind of glory of that, but now they've excavated all the places where they stored all the food. And when we were there, our guide told us they made a very unusual discovery in those storerooms. They found in a dry clay jar seeds of a date palm that had long ago become extinct. These seeds are more than 2,000 years old. Now, of course, the question that everybody raised at that, well, could they still produce life? Here is the answer. They call this the Judean date palm Methuselah. <laughs> it is now 10 years old if you don't count the 2,000 years waiting for germination. It lives in the Kibbutz Keturah in the Arab Desert in the southern part of Israel. Now I bring that up because in our text today we continue with the teachings of Jesus and he continues to talk about the life of that he came to give us. And he uses an analogy about his own death and he relates it such that we are to be willing to lay down our life for him. And he uses this analogy of the seed. He says, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. And then in the very next breath, he applies it to you and me when he says, anyone who loves their life will lose it. While anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. Now think about that. 
in relation to the analogy that he gives us about the seed. However long it takes, God's seed will germinate into life. For Jesus, it was three days dead and buried to resurrection life. He rose to a fruitful, unending, still being harvested fruitfulness of that sacrifice. For us, we can be sure that if we lay down our lives in this world in service for him, that the life that germinates from that spiritual choice to go and be where Jesus is in the sacrifice of service to our fellow humanity, that choice will produce a harvest that is continual now and throughout eternity. A while back, it's been probably 20 years ago now, we ordained a 65-year-old man. He had been called as a teenager to be a pastor. The seed that was planted 50 years before was now being germinated in his life. And what was interesting is that this gentle man did not so much rebel against God as he simply put God off year after year after year. Until finally, when he was 60 years of age and ready to retire from his profession, he laid down his life for him. He went into seminary. And then at age 65, we ordained him and assigned him to his first church. He recently passed away. I talked to him before that time. And he was just with joyful expression on his face, saying that his most fruitful and most enjoyable years were those last years where he responded to God and he did what God had created him to do. He said he felt as though he was living the life uh, that he should have been and, and wanted to be living in those years. Now, I do not at all believe that all of us are called to be pastors, but I do believe that all of us are called. Each one of us have a seed planted in us by God to live a life of deep significance, not just significance in, in this temporary existence that we all share, but significance eternally as our actions and our behaviors here change the very trajectory of our lives and the lives of others as we enter into this fruitful service of God. So I want us to cons consider this uh, analogy of the seed as we read the text today. And it's a, a very rich text. We're going to actually go, go through it verse by verse because it has a lot to teach us about living the life that God calls us to live. So John chapter 12, and we're going to start with the 20th verse and just read 13 verses through the 33rd verse. John is writing, he says, now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it. Anyone, while anyone who hates their life in this world 
will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Jesus says, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this, John says, to show the kind of death, the crucifixion, he was about to die. Keep that open before you and let's pray. Father, we are very thankful that you gave us your one and only Son, that as we believe in him, we will have life and will have it abundantly. Jesus, that you were willing to come and that you were willing to experience this human condition in all of its injustice and in all of its sorrow, such that we might have life and we might have it abundantly. We come to you today in great recognition of that love and we come in recognition that you call us to walk a similar path and it's hard for us. We would ask that you would speak to each of us in whatever ways uh, you, you have a message for us uniquely today. Uh, we're listening. And of course, we'll give you all the glory and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. There's so many lessons, as I said, in this that point to this laying down our lives and being the servant of God and living a fruitful life that we're going to take it actually verse by verse and we're going to relate it to this call upon the germinating of spiritual life. We begin with verse 20. And it's interesting that if you read this uh, from just a, a, a superficial thing, it seems as though Jesus is going to ignore the request that is being given to them. But that is not true. There are two things here that we want to see. First, that those who are seeking God, and these Greeks that are coming to the festival are called God-fearers, they're wanting to know the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so they're coming, they're seeking God, they're trying to know. They've heard of this Rabbi Jesus. Those who are seeking God tend to turn to people who they perceive as being like them. Philip is a Greek name. It, it literally means a, a lover of horses, an equestrian. And Philip came from the region north of the Sea of Galilee in the area that's called Caesarea Philippi. It's located, of course, in the area where Caesar, Caesarea, is worshipped, where the god Pan is worshipped. Philip is born in a little town called Bethsaida, which means a fishing village there. He's born along with his brother Andrew, and, of course, Peter. Now, notice with the, the Greeks, well, Andrew and his brother Peter. Philip is not their brother. 
Now notice when the Greeks coming to Jerusalem seeking the God of Abraham, here of Philip, a Greek, it's them that they go and they ask for. So that's the first lesson that we read. And it's one of the most important lessons for us in our own evangelistic work. Those who are seeking God tend to turn to people who they perceive as being like them to introduce them to Jesus. So who are you most likely to bring to Christ? It's people like you. In whatever ways. It might be in interests. It might be in hobbies. It might be in language. It might be in the the career or the profession or the neighborhood or whatever it is, they are going to come to you and seek you and you're going to be effective in reaching them. Now, of course, Jesus told us to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, that we are to reach out to everyone, everywhere. And yet it's interesting that 80 to 90% of people who become Christians become Christians because a friend or a family member or a neighbor invited them to come and be with them. And so we give you these invitations to invite people to the highest day of the Christian year, Easter, to invite them to come and to see who this Jesus is and why he's come into the world. Now the second thing we know from this is that the Greeks coming to meet with Jesus was a sign to Jesus that the hour has now come for his crucifixion. For his resurrection. As you know, all of history is his story. And as his story unfolds, Jesus knows that he's going to come to the time when he needs to be lifted up. And all nations will be drawn to that act of love and that sacrifice that he would give. And so the Greeks would come, and then the Romans, and then the Europeans, and then the Americans, and then the Asians, and so on. As down through these centuries, that seed has produced a great fruitfulness throughout all the nations of the world as the world is coming to him. The word that Jesus uses here, hurrah, resembles our actual English word, hour, but it means more like a season, a, a, like spring or summer or fall, that kind of season. It could mean, of course, that in the course of his story, there has come a moment in time, a fullness of time, an hour in which now's the time that I'm going to be lifted up because now the Greeks have come and they want to know who I am. The hour has arrived. Now think about that in terms of our own lives. It's important to realize that everything has a moment, a season, a fullness, when now's the right time to talk to that friend. Now's the time to make that choice and change. Now is the time to do what it is we've been meaning to do. Now, it may be a 2,000 year germination before that life comes. It may be three days. But when the time is right, God will act and he will bring about his life. I've, I've found both in my own life and in the lives of so many of us, we are impatient about God's timing. We want God to do it when we think it should be done and, and we would prefer it be done now and not expect us to have to wait for the right time. And yet, when we patiently wait for what God is going to do and ask that he reach that child or that spouse or that parent or that neighbor, when the time is full and right and they're ready to respond, 
we'll find that we'll be far more effective in accomplishing the purposes of God. Now, as we've already seen, the nature of God's work is to die to self and to live for God. To serve and follow him such that we do not think of this life as our own or what we possess as our own, but rather it all belongs to God. And what does God want to do that's going to last far beyond the grave and far beyond the momentary decisions that we make with our life? And that question, of course, causes us to understand that when we lose our life for him in this world, we gain it in a lasting and everlasting uh, way. Now, to make sure we understand how hard that is, Jesus opens his very heart to us in this. In verse 27, he explains that his soul is troubled and that we could think that it's hard then to serve God. That our prayer then, since it's hard, would be to ask God to save us from this hour, to not make us have to go through any kind of sacrifice to follow him. But as Jesus explains, it's for the very reason that he came that he needs to go through what God has called him and sent him to do. For him, it was the crucifixion. That deep sorrow where he took upon himself the sorrow of humanity, the sin of humankind, so that all prices might be paid and we might be set free from that, that we might live. For you and for me, it's far less than that, but not any less troubling, not any less difficult for us to face. Now, obviously, we could say to God, oh, you know, it's, it's just too hard for me to, to do this. I, I, I can't imagine that you would ask me to sacrifice this. I, I want to live my life and my plans and in my way for my purpose, for my ambition. But as Jesus so directly says for us, no, that would be an inappropriate prayer. That, that's why I've come. I've come to this hour in my life, this hour in his story, this moment in the plan of God, and I'm a part of that. And if I say, no, it's too hard for me, and please escape me from this, then we will live for self. And we will, in fact, in his story, in this great book of life, be no longer a participant in it. Because we're not a part of it, because we chose not to be a part of what God has created us to be. And so his story will continue on without us, as will the book of life. And then I love the way what happens next. You know, God just kind of breaks into the moment. And in that hour, he speaks from heaven and he says, yes, and, and if you will do this and be who I created you to be, Jesus and each of us, then I will be glorified. My story will become complete. I will be honored because my deep love for you will become complete and each of us will grow. Or... If you don't, then all you're going to hear is thunder, chaos, destruction. In my own spiritual guidance, I often have people who are stepping out to follow God and they're scared to death. I remember when I first came here, 
I was so scared, I lost 35 pounds in two months. And uh, that's really what you feel when you follow God. It's something far greater than you could possibly do. It's, it's far larger than even life itself. And so you're scared at it. And I always remind people that God will give you his sense of comfort, conviction, empowerment, sense of peace, sense of letting go and depending on God. And it will be an increasing conviction that grows in your life in such a way that that you begin to feel the fruitfulness of an existence that you did not know before you surrendered your life to God. That thunder can come in all different kinds of ways, as the angelion speaks to us, which is what angel means, a messenger of God. It can come during a hymn. It can come during a testimony. It can come during a class, during a sermon. It can come when you're reading a novel. It can come from watching a film. It can come from being in the sunset and watching the creation of God. But however it is that God speaks, he will bring conviction and increasing sense that you're in his story and you're in his will. You're a part of the ways of God and you're going to bring glory and honor and praise to the one whose story it is. Now it is true that some people only hear thunder. Uh, they only hear chaos. They only hear this uh, threatening noise and interference. And that it is true that there are people who find it difficult to experience the conviction and the affirmation of God. If, if that is your experience, if you're struggling with that, then I encourage you to listen, listen more patiently and intently with a willing heart. I found that those three ingredients clarify and we begin to experience God's word to us. Patience. Really intensely listen. Spend time in silence and solitude and meditation, listening. And give the willing heart. I always pray, yes, I'm willing. Help that part of me that's not willing. Yes, I give you my whole self. Help Take that part of me that doesn't want to belong to you. Let that be a prayer of, of a willing heart. And then last, Jesus affirms that there comes an hour when all things will, will be obvious, both within your life and within the story of God. And that moment will not be any more clear than the moment of the crucifixion. Jesus was lifted up on the cross, an innocent rabbi, teacher of the living God. And although he died an undeserving death, as Pilate clearly announced, I see nothing deserving of death in this man. The world in its fearful violence killed him. We live in a world of fearful violence. And the question is, how are we going to live in the presence of that? Last Saturday, we interviewed a man who was born into a Muslim family 
in Africa. He's about 50 years old. He has come to be a part of the Free Methodist Church. And so we were interviewing him. And he was born into a Muslim family in the country of Cameroon. At the age of 12, he became a Christian. His family rejected him and literally kicked him out of the house. He eventually became a pastor in Cameroon, came to the United States, became a PhD in Muslim studies, is a world-class scholar in it. And over those same years, everybody but one sister has become a Christian because of his uh, influence within the family life. In our interview, it took us like five minutes to decide that, yeah, he could be a free Methodist pastor, and we agreed with that. But then we got caught up in his explanation of this expanding struggle between the caliphate, the Muslim world, that has a very clear intention, as he explained it to us, to take over the world. That Sharia law would be a part of all nations and it would be under Muslim control. And as he was talking, just very, you know, matter-of-factly, because he's lived his whole life within that uh, experience, you could feel the, the fear kind of rising amongst all the rest of us as we're in the room. And I remember one of the, the people then asking him, well, as a Christian, how do we respond to that? And you have to know Dr. Musa. He, he responded with this just belly laugh. He's got this great laugh. He just laughed and he said, we love them. We love them. If we allow the, the violent fear that is so permeating our world to become the Christian response, then fear breeds fear. Violence breeds violence. We've been taught that for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. Jesus came to, to give us another way to say that there is a love that can transcend human ability, a love of the enemy that can, in fact, bring faith and unity. That does not mean that the sacrifice that you and I may be asked to make in the years to come will not be difficult. But it does mean that we're not going to trust in ways that are contrary to the teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because if we trust in those things, we will not be able to find the future that is eternal, and that is beyond the grave, that life that bears all fruit. So this morning, as you spend time with God, I encourage you to stop and think about who it is that has come to you because they want to be introduced to Jesus. They want to know him. And to be patient and know that the time will be right. Be willing to, to lay down your life in whatever ways God asks on any given day so that you can do something that is profoundly important, that the very reason that you've come to that season of your life so that you can complete it and recognizing that we must, in fact, live by the power of God's love. If we accept any other solution to the problems of the world, we've entered into the world. We've loved the world instead of hating the world and its ways of interaction. We want to be the people of God. Let's spend time with Him. <laughs>